Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of out-of-the-box thinking with the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, a special thank you to our premier sponsor, Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and the creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, Rapid SOS is sharing critical data with first responders like myself to get us the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become Rapid SOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit rapidsos.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Hey, friends. I'm wicked excited for today's guest, Rich Levesque. Rich and I worked for neighboring towns for many years, and working a single-seat dispatch center was not the only thing that we have in common. We both left the job that we loved because of PTSD and are now devoting time to helping save the lives in the seat versus from the seat. So welcome, Rich. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Great to see you. Yeah. So we're seeing each other, but folks are only going to hear our audio, um, which is which is ironic because um, we heard each other's audio for a really long time. So for those that don't know how Rich and I know each other, we we uh, dispatched in neighboring towns for many years. Any idea how many years? How, how, so I know you came to Freetown after I left. So how long were you in Freetown? Let's see. I was, I started there in 02. Okay. And I was there until 18. All right. So we're going to, we're going to hear your introduction in just a minute, but you know, that's a long time. So 2002 and I left in, in, uh, well, we, we won't do the math cause I'm not good at math, but for a wicked long time, uh, we, worked together. We both worked. Well, I worked three to 11. Most of the time you worked four to midnight. Yep. yep. So you and I chatted a lot. So I am super excited that you are here on my podcast because I know you're doing podcast stuff and we'll get all into that. But for folks that don't know who you are, let us know who you are, my friend. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I, as you said, I was on the board in a town nearby for about 16 years. Yeah. I literally fell. It wasn't completely by accident. Law enforcement's the family business. Yeah. My dad was a cop. My grandfather was a cop. My brother is a cop. That <laughs> So it never goes to our, when I was in college, I actually worked for the police department in a number of different, so I wasn't unfamiliar. Yeah. But when I got out of school, I ended up working a number of different things. I worked in special ed. I worked in group homes. I was actually bartending for a while. Oh, wow. And I was literally, I was working in a bar in New Bedford, Mass. And 
one day, and it was an interesting place. There was, it wasn't, there's a lot of great establishments. Yeah. I didn't work at one of those. (laughs) (laughs) So when I I was working one night and a guy got stabbed right outside the bar, came staggering in and, you know, I had to, you know, help him out. I had to call 911 and get him, you know, secured and all that. Yeah. So I'm telling, you know, I'm telling my brother about it. And he just, the next day, he's just like, slams an application in front of me. And he's just like, don't you fight with me on this anymore. Just freaking do it. That's awesome. And at that point, yeah, I was like, yeah, you know, okay. things got, <laughs> whatever. And, you know, I ended up knowing some of the, I, you know, there are some of the guys that I knew, you know, through my brother, we'd gone to conscious together or, you know, different occasions. So it wasn't like I didn't know anybody there. It was yep. a pretty easy transition for me. And, you know, I trained, you know, blew through that quick and I was, you know, part-time for a couple of years. And then I was midnights for maybe about three years. Yep. And then I shifted over to, I shifted over to fours and small towns. It's interesting because it's a very different vibe than where a lot of places are regionalized or countywide or, you know, or a big city where you have one gig, you're answering the phone, you're on the radio, you're handling a specific thing. You know, small town, you're doing everything. Yeah. And you know, what's, you know, what's crazy is so, um, as you know, I travel around the country and I'm in 911 centers all the time and I teach folks. And a lot of times, you know, it's hard for me to kind of empathize with what they're going through, where they can just kind of focus on the call versus having to dispatch police, fire, EMS, animal control, highway department, walk-ins, like all those things. So having those two different perspectives, super, super different. It is. And that was, it never really dawned on me until I first started going to my bigger trainings when I started going to my APCO telecom, when I started going to my EMD and getting to know other dispatchers. It was like, wait, doing it this way is not just a thing. Yeah. And it was fascinating because it felt like, yeah, we were both speaking English, but I was speaking Australian English. They were speaking American English. Yeah. So a lot of the terminologies, but they were very different gigs. And it was really fascinating to me. But the thing is 90% of the time in a small town, when you're doing everything, not much happens. You get lulled into that routine. Yeah. But when everything goes, it's all you. Yep. And yep. there's always that sadistic part of me that loved that. <laughs> well, I think I did too. And and so I, I'm doing work with a, a really big agency right now and they have the call taker and the dispatcher and I would find it super challenging to not know the outcome to the extent that they know they don't know the outcome. So w- there was a lot of times that we may not have known the outcome once they got maybe dropped off at the hospital. But for the most part, you and I were both in very small agencies where our officers came back and we would talk about it. So we had that luxury where these bigger agencies, they will take the call and, and send it over via... Uh, 
a um, you know, computer and it goes to the dispatcher and that's it. They, they never see it again. They never touch it again. And, and that has to be super challenging. Yeah. I would struggle with that. I'm one of those, I, I need, I need to know how everything plays out. Yeah. And then I can find peace with how it worked. I can grasp, you know, if there were things I could have done a little bit different or a little bit better, you know, it's easy to see that when you start seeing the result and you see the whole picture or when you hard when you get your lone lane. Yeah. So we, and then when you have the conversation with the officer, you know, what we got and what they get are often different. So when they come back and they're like, Hey, you just dispatched me to this. And it was this, it kind of teaches you, it teaches you to go, you know what? I need to kind of look outside the box here and and maybe ask this question next time. This might be a clarifying question that I can ask. So they're not walking in to something. Um, and, And it's a different relationship that you have with your responders as well. It, I mean, they truly become part of your family. You're spending holidays right. together. You're eating meals together. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you have that camaraderie, but then you have that family dynamic where there's times I want to punch you in the nose. Right. <laughs> and there's right. absolutely, there's all of that. And that was really one of the things that made me really good was having, especially on midnights, there were, a couple of the sergeants that I had were really good at coming in and being like, okay, when you hear A, B, and C, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I need to have and why. And yep. they explained things really well and it made sense. And then it made things, it made it really easy for me to get to the point to get what I needed and get it out. Yep. Because a lot of, you know, when I trained, it was very, okay, here's this, do this, do this, do this. It was very, you learned the patterns, you learned the policies, and you learned if X do Y. You didn't learn a whole lot of the, and a lot of it too was they were, you know, they were short and I was on the speed plan. It was just, all right, yep. how fast can we get you competent enough to where you can get on the board without, killing people. Yeah. So that's literally where they got me to and then set me free because based on what they needed at the time. Right. Right. Also, it was a different environment then. Training was a lot different 20 years ago than it is now too. Oh, of course. Of course it is. I mean, I remember, you know, and it's funny, you know, it's ironic that I remember the exact date, um, you know, in, in June of 2012, we, we went and moved to the EMD mandate. So on top of, you know, dispatching police, fire, EMS, animal control, and, and all of all of the things. Now we're required to prov- provide EMD instructions. Um, so it took on a whole new, whole new perspective. Um, but yeah, you and I used to talk all the time, and I and it's funny because when when we were getting ready to do this podcast, um, and we'll talk about all the amazing stuff that you're doing now uh, outside of the nine one center, but. I just remember when I first started hearing your voice, I'm like, this guy's got a voice for radio. Like it was that <laughs> distinct voice that that would come in. And I, I will tell you, my friend, you were on top of your game. And when I say that, I, I mean, 
I would train my dispatchers because again, we worked so closely together. Our towns were next to each other. Our our folks were, were backing each other up. Um, But we could always count on, on you and, you know, definitely some of the others for sure. But there were times that you were keeping track of our stuff, you know, maybe even when we weren't keeping track of our stuff and, and you knew something was coming into our town, you had given us the heads up. Uh, my folks really appreciated, and I'll speak on behalf of them. We really appreciated your commitment and passion for the job that you did. There is, there's, I couldn't have you on here and not tell you how much you being on the other side of the radio when we needed to call meant to us. So take that for what and it's I worth. I do appreciate that. It really worked into how I need to process things. I have to, you know, part of it is my neurosis, to be honest, <laughs> but I need to plant to realize to see things out two or three steps ahead. Yep. So I would have the scanners going and I would have other things happening. And it's funny because once I got off the gig, if somebody had a scanner on outside of my shift, shut it off. I would be like, Turn it off. Get that thing away from me. But when I was on, I had everything going. I And literally, there was a story where I literally heard something coming in in one of the city scanners that somebody was coming up on a, you know, coming up a wrong way on a highway. It was a, I don't remember a lot of the details, but there was some scary stuff involved. It was a domestic situation. They didn't know what he had in the vehicle. And I was able to hear it coming up. And I'm like, hey, guys, this guy's coming up 140, which is a highway, you know, close to our area for those yep. who are not familiar. And being able to just me being able to hear that got them up there with the sticks and you know, diffused what could have been something. I was like, all right, well, that I need to do more of that. Yeah. Yeah, that was successful. That worked. We like that. We like that. And yeah. and they like and they liked that. So, yeah, and you know, to have folks that are that work together like that is is really really important. And I know that you and I worked through a lot together too. Like if something was weird or hooky, it was like I know that I could call you. You could call me. What is this? I don't I've never seen this before. Like, you know, and I think that folks in much larger centers lose a piece of that. Right. Like they have they do have each other, um, but just it's just a different dynamic. And I think it's really good for folks to hear that other side of the dynamic. And here's here's the reason why I say that is because, you know, I'm, I'm on social media a lot. You're on social media a lot. And, you know, I'm in a lot of Facebook groups for 91 telecommunicators. And what I will see is there will be a conversation that starts whatever it is about. And then. Maybe the small time dispatcher jumps in and and says something and it's just not understood. Like, why would you do that? Or how how can you do that? And and I think it's good to have different perspectives of the actual job. There are still places that are doing one one person on. And and your your agency is doing that for, uh, well, the agency you were at, I I think, is still one person, right? It is is for the most part as far as i know yeah i know yeah. they've had some shifts that i'm not totally into because i just haven't gotten to talk to people it's yeah. been a while so i but, think so i think there's something important that you touched on um which again we'll we'll get into some mental health stuff in just a little bit but is the the thing about not listening to the scanner 
uh, not even so much outside of work. Because I remember when I was in the center, I, I was in charge of the center. So I did have uh, the scanner on uh, for the fire department. I, it took me a long time to turn off the scanner for the police department. And let me just clarify that is I'm on the fire department. So the the, the radio for the fire department would be on uh, to make sure like if a call was going to come in, we I heard that. Uh, but there did come a time where I turned off the police side uh, just because it was too much. It, it was it was too much, um, you know, to just hear it all the time. And then it was too much to be like, I can't control anything from where I'm sitting. So then once I was out of the center, my husband will hear, you know, New Bedford or, you know, you guys or somebody else will have some big fire and he's turning on the scanner and there's just all of this chatter and talk. And it it is like my nerves are on the outside of my body. Like, I don't want to hear it. Turn it down. I don't want to hear squelch. I don't want to hear too many people talking at one time. It becomes extremely overwhelming. And I know that you can talk to that as well. So I want to shift. Um, so you mentioned you were there until 2018. 18. 18. And then, and then, you mentioned, you know, leaving the center. Let's talk about that. 2018 That's actually a rich. really good segue yeah. into it. Yeah. Was one of the things that I used to be really good at is I could shut it off at the end of the shift. There were very few times that I brought a call home. Same. And usually it was those, if it was like, you know, if it was a kid, the kid calls were the ones I would struggle with. Right. All of us do. Or yeah. if there was some, so, but it was very, most of it, I, and it was, I had to, I learned to, I learned to, you know, shut it off. It was, and I, that's why I would be like, I don't want to hear a scanner. I don't like, don't call me at home. Like, don't. Just, yeah, don't call me. Don't call me on the yeah, phone if I text. Me. If I if I text you, it means I want to text you. Don't call. Don't call me. Don't don't call me if I text you. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to talk on the and, phone. And if somebody wants to order pizza, somebody else can make the phone call. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're right because it was always dispatch calling to order the food, and and I don't know if it was in your place, but I'm just going to throw this out there. The most important file in dispatch was the menu file. I'm just Absolutely. throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah. And All right. you had to make sure that. You called on a phone that wasn't the business line because God forbid somebody's working in the back, somebody arrested that. Yep. See, people don't understand the struggles. I mean, there's real struggles. That's a big struggle. (laughs) So yeah, these are the things that you have to think of when when the simple task of ordering dinner. Yeah. But you have to, that's the nature of it. It is. And what I started to see and it's funny because I would tell people for years that like, I just, I had it with, you know, I'd had it with management. I had it with doing this. I was just done, done, you know, angry, bitter. But the truth is that wasn't it. Right. It was, it was that I couldn't hold the, the line anymore and stuff was starting to come home and things were starting to seep. And I had a number of calls that things that didn't used to eat at me were starting to eat at me. And the, and I found 
And it was happening for a longer period of time than I wanted to admit. It was probably yeah. a couple of. And because, well, because we're OK, it's like, all right, well, I can deal with this. I, I can figure this out, but we can't and we need help. <laughs> yeah. And, and, are we, and I, it would turn up as mad and everybody would connect with mad. We just all bitch and moan and then, you know, hey, that's it. But there was something different going on. And personally, everything was falling apart on my end. To the point where I, on a Saturday night, a couple of years before I left, I, I literally, you know, I took my stuff home. I, you know, I had a plan. I had a note written out and it wasn't even like a why note because I, my head was so screwed up. I didn't even think anybody would care. I just had a list. Okay. This is where I want my things to go. This is what I want you to do. And I was going to, you know, point blank, yeah. I was going to take my life that weekend. Yep. And I literally, that was the point where I just like, I can't do this. No, there has to be more. And once I stopped and I started to do my own healing and I found that there were pieces that were stopping me from, and a lot of it was, I, I'd done the job too long. I had taken too much on and I literally walked in one day. It wasn't like I planned on leaving. I, I literally, I got up that morning and I, there was, I had no plan on giving my notice. It was just, I had gotten this one message from management that my mind just took entirely the wrong. It was like the small, stupid, annoying thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was just like, and my body was just, I got to work. I had written a letter. I put it on the chief's desk and my mind has no connection to any of it. It was literally my body telling me, no, you're done. You need to, you need to walk away. You need to heal. And it needs to be somebody else's gig now. Yeah. Because I, I knew mentally I was starting to fall apart. And once you get to that point, you're if you start sticking around longer one of two things is going to happen either you're going to start to make mistakes yep or you're going to start to not care yep which is even worse yeah and and i think and i think you're 100% right so you know from I, and and you know we have very similar stories in that aspect um i very openly talk about you know times that that were very dark for me as well and i think what folks don't often understand is that there is a tipping point so there's a place where and i refer to it as kind of the band-aid being ripped off of a wound that hasn't fully healed and so you think that it's healed but it's but it's not and the band-aid um gets ripped off and before you know it you're like stubbing that you know, hitting that spot and it just continues to hurt and hurt and it never heals. And if you don't do anything about it, it is just never going to heal and you're just going to keep hurting. And so for me, I tried to, uh, I tried to heal on my own. It wasn't working. And I too had to make that decision. And I remember coming home, same thing. It was, there was this just pivotal moment where 
where something, I, I, I know exactly what the moment was. There was very unfair treatment towards me versus every other department head. And there was just, just one thing that um, was going to be different for me than any other department head. And I, had, and, and I know it sounds petty, but it's not, it was, it was, you know, harassing. It was a hostile working environment for me. And I got to the place where this, this last thing, it was just like, that's it. I'm, I'm done. And, and I remember my husband, Jeff, I remember coming home that day and I was quiet about it. Like I was quiet. I wasn't crying. I wasn't swearing. I wasn't throwing things. I wasn't, you know, saying F that place. And, you know, I'm quitting, I'm done. Um, which I had done a million times. Uh, it was different. It was, I was quiet. And, and I feel like I had disassociated from myself. Like you just described that it was like, now it's no, now the ball is no longer in my court. It is everything else that's happening behind the scenes. And I made that decision. And I think my husband knew in that moment too. And he said, I know it's time. And, and I made the decision. And three days later, Michael Martin from rapid SOS showed up and offered me a job. And it was almost like, you know, I, I knew my story was already written. I kept trying to steal the pen. And it was like, you finally accepted that it was time to go. And here's your next opportunity. Accept it and move forward and do different things. And that sounds like exactly what, what you did. So let, let's talk about, you know, what happened once you put in your notice? Then where do you go? What do you do? Because you didn't have another job, right? No, I had like I said, I literally got up that morning and I was not planning on doing that. Yeah. So it just, and I, I'm like, okay, I, what now? I cashed, you know, so I cashed out my retirement. I had a little bit of, of landing. I literally started, I traveled cross country for a few months. Um, I love that. that I loved that you did that. Like I was watching your journey across the country and that was so cool. So cool. I couldn't do that. I, th- I think my husband and my kids would have been a little upset, but that was awesome. Yeah. And it's, I loved the experience and I'm not sure I'd ever do it again. Yeah. Because as fun as it is, it does take a toll. Yeah. And I found myself, you know, fading out. And there was other weird elements that, you know, came along that, but they all, taught me little different lessons and gave me the experiences that I needed. Yeah. And when I came back, I did, um, I did ride share driving for a while. I did the Uber Lyft thing. And what I found happening is I'd been ever since I had gotten to that point where I almost checked out. I didn't, I was lucky. I got a great therapist, um, somebody who was really empathetic to me but also would call me out on my crap when I was walling up or, and sometimes I would struggle with, and I still do when I'm talking to people, trying to go from emotion to feeling and turning it into a word to speak. Yep. So she's like, okay, we're done with your stool. Go home and write it. So I literally, I started writing and what I found was what couldn't come out of my mouth could come out of my fingers. And that's ironic, right? Because that's what you did for a long time. Right. In the job, in the job. But you also don't explore. 
you don't explore your feelings yeah. in the job. Yep. It's A, you grab message A, send it to person B. It was very, in a lot of ways, scripted with what you're putting out there. You, yep. When you're in that role, that, that was easy. When you have to play the role of Rich the man with feelings and heart and wanting to express love in different ways. And, you know, then it gets uh, (laughs) not the easy, not the the F word. (laughs) No, none of those. (laughs) But that was the end. As I was doing that, she was like, you're, you know, you're actually a really good writer. And I'm just like, and then she, she started saying like, Hey, you know, start putting some of your stuff out there. And I started to, even before I had left and I'm telling people, you would be amazed at who would show up on my, in my inbox and be like, thank you that you're describing me. You're yeah. telling my story. And a lot of, and it's a lot of people that are in professions like ours that there's still that stigma. It's not like they can outwardly say, Hey, you know, this is going on. This is thing. I feel lousy. It's better than it was 20 years ago. Oh, it is so much better, but it's still a long, it's still a long way to go. Agreed. So as I started finding that, I started feeling like, there's a role for me in creating spaces where people can show up as that, as messy, as confused, happy, sad, angry, where they don't have to play the role. And a lot of us learn, we have, we learned even early on in life, we had to play a certain role if we we're going to get our needs met. Yep. Yeah. You know, sometimes our basic needs, sometimes to keep us physically safe if we're in a that kind of situation. Or, you know, some of the other needs that we don't talk about as much. Being seen, being heard, the need for connection, the need for belonging and community are just as important. And I try to create those spaces where I don't care where you come from. I don't care your backstory. I don't care your religion, your gender, your politics, your anything, as long as you're you and you show up and you can at least stay in your lane. If somebody, you know, shows up in a way that doesn't feel good to you, that's fine. But no, and I really feel like, there's different modes for healing. There's different, you know, therapy is going to be it for some people. For yeah. other people, it's going to be more natural healing. There's something for everybody and not everything's for everybody. And, and I think, perfect. and I, th- and I think what's really important about that too is, um, you know, I have a couple of friends that are struggling right now and I don't know if, if they'll hear this, but they'll, they'll know who they are is, you know, they're, they're struggling, but yet they don't want to do anything about it. And, you know, I, I know, I know enough to know I'm not just going to push 
my opinions onto you. I'm going to share. If you want me to share, I'm going to share. But I had to learn that I can't just tell people, you know, everything. I am a very vocal person. I wear my heart on my sleeve. That's who I am. And I want to help people. What you were just saying about the feeling of being heard, uh, that is actually a trigger of mine. I have been stifled my entire life. I have, you know, people, you talk too much, you're too loud, you're too emotional, you're too sensitive. And those words to me basically just translated into you suck, you're not good enough, nobody wants to hear what you have to say. And then you would have these shift moments where folks will be like, I love what you just had to say and you've helped me. So there was this inner struggle of like, do I keep talking? Do I stop talking? Do I keep talking? So for you to create a space where people feel safe is really important. That's that's first. And we're going to talk more about those safe places that you've created. But going back to people just kind of being stuck where they are. I wrote something. I too write. Um, I write poetry yeah, and I write stories too. And and I haven't written stories in a while, but I did write one and maybe I'll try to dig it up and share it after this because it kind of goes with it. And it was titled The Life Cycle of a Bath. A Bath. And it's like, if you think about it, um, you know, you get into the bath, you clean out the bathtub, everything's clean. It's nice. You put the water in, it's a perfect temperature. You're relaxed. Everything's nice. But then all of a sudden the stuff on your body starts coming off and it's kind of, the water gets a little bit murky and then, and then the water gets kind of cool. So, so you do the thing where you're like letting a little bit of water out, but then letting a little bit more water uh, uh, in and, you know, you're just kind of, you're just kind of stuck there. And there has to come a point where you just yank the plug out and you drain the bath. And I think that's rock bottom for most people is like you drain the bathtub and we've both been there. You know, you just talked about your experience. I've talked about it before. You just drain the bathtub and you have to start over. What was working is no longer working. So we have to find new tools that will work for us. And I am constantly always looking for new tools. So talk about some of the tools that you've put in place or that you've provided for other people that have been successful. Yeah, I'll share some of what worked for me. And I found that different pieces have worked for me in different places in the journey. Yep. Um, I, like I said, for me, first and foremost was therapy. I needed to find, and when I say therapy, you got to find a therapist that get you. Yep. And is, I was talking about before is is empathetic to your story and your situation, but is also going to call you out when you can do better or when you're not seeing something and therapy is what gets you back to functional. And once you get there, when you're going from functional to wanting to go optimal, there's different levels of coaching that would work for you. And I found for a while um, EFT, which is 
tapping. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. It if you want to, I'm, uh, I'm, points. yep. So I'm familiar with it. Um, but if you want to, I was just going to say, if you want to just give a little overview of what it yeah, is, I'll give it, I don't do EFT. I, a friend of mine did it and I worked with her for a couple of years Yep. and what you would do is you would kind of talk through what was happening and you would hit different pressure points. There was, you know, you one on your eyebrow, a couple of spots around your eyes, um, one right under your nose, your chin. And as you're hitting the different points, you're kind of, you're going through the belief and you're releasing the belief, you know, the belief that you had about, and oftentimes you go back to an old story from when you were a child. Yep. And that's where a lot of the elements of healing come from. But as you work through that, there's a script that you work through when you're working with a professional and you kind of, you start to talk it through. And as you're hitting these points, you're reprogramming a new belief to replace the old one. That's just one way to do it. There's many ways I have, I have my coaching um, certificate. I got that over the last year. And a lot of what I do when I'm coaching with, with people is we'll work through a situation and we work through, okay, when this happens, how does that feel? What, what, and when was the first time you felt that way? And most everything, you know, not to get all Freud on people, but what happens is before seven years old, we learn our programming and we learn, we were talking about needs. We learn what we need to get our needs met and it works well in the moment. But when we become adults, a lot of the programming holds us back. And it keeps a lot of those old stories together. And you start believing, you know, like you were talking about, you'd believe that, you know, nobody was willing to hear you and that what you had to say wasn't enough. For me, it was a lot more abandonment. If I'm my truth, you know, if I'm who I really am, everybody's going to leave me and I'm going to be alone. And that's where a lot of, even now, where a lot of my fears come from, being alone. Where does that come from? What was the feeling or how old were you? And you don't, you're not staying there. We're not like, yeah. it's like, okay, you go in there to find the feeling. Okay. What did that kid need to hear in the moment? You get to do that. And then you step back and be like, okay, now that you told that kid, what do you need to tell yourself? What new beliefs can you get from that? And that's, and well, and really I think that. when I think what, what I think is really, so some folks, if they just jumped in the middle of a 911 dispatcher type podcast and jumped in, in this conversation, they're like, Whoa, this is getting deep. It has to get deep yeah. because what I will tell you is that there's a lot of folks. Um, there's two sides of the coin. There's a lot of folks that are like, I'm fine. There's, it, there's nothing that bothers me about work. Is there something wrong with me? And I'm like, no. There isn't uh, because not everybody has the same experiences, the same exposures, the same risk factors. So everybody is is set up very differently, whether it's who you are in your DNA or who you are through experience 
as a child and growing up is that you just may not have the the experiences or the risk factors or the type of personality or you know whatever it is that you know we don't know exactly what it is it's not like somebody can come out of the womb and you'd be like oh yep let's watch this one cuz they're going to end up with PTSD and mental health issues it 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 is different so you know, to the folks that are feeling right now that they're they're fine, um, good. I hope that everything stays that way for you. But just be on the lookout for things that are just not like you said before, Rich. You're like uh, this. This is a little bit different. This something's not something's not jiving. And a lot of times we are too far into it before we actually recognize that there's a problem. And sometimes it looks entirely different than what you'd expect. Yep. When I started to go, I found myself wanting to take on more. It makes no sense now, but in my mind at the moment, it's like, okay, what new responsibility can I take on? Can I learn this other training? Can I get on you know, can I get on a regional team to do things? And of course I would like ask all these questions and it got to the point where I would walk into the chief's office and be like, chief, can I, no, get out of here. <laughs> scram, scram. No, I, I know that, that, that ultimately, happens with a lot of folks. And it was the best thing he could do because if he had said yes to a lot of these things, I would have had all this other responsibility and it would have been a crazier breakdown. Yep. when I did go. Yep. Yeah. And I think we do bury ourselves in. So I know that I do it. One of my coping ne- mechanisms is working and helping other people. That's it. Like I am, I am the epitome of the carpenter whose house isn't finished. Like I can mm-hmm. help everybody. I can teach you. I can. And, but, but my house, I need some work on my house. And, you know, it isn't until I hit a breaking point that I'm like, Oh, okay. I should probably renovate the bathroom. Yeah. It's and easier to fix somebody something. else's bathroom. Oh, it totally is. It totally and at is. The end, what they need is they need the gift of being able to replace their own. Yeah. And that was something that was really hard for me to learn. It was for me, you know, the Superman complex was what gave me validation and what kept what I be- sometimes was what I believe kept me in the room. Sometimes it actually was what kept me in the room. Yep. Oh, I can save the day. I can fix this. I can save that. I can take on this. And what I was doing is I was finding in time, people were starting to resent that and they didn't understand why, because they weren't given the, being given the gift of sitting in their own yeah. muck and needing to fix it. Yeah. You know, my goal isn't, and and I always say this, you know, I have lots of conversations with folks. My goal isn't for you to leave dispatch. My goal is for you to ask yourself, is it time to leave dispatch? Because if, if you're in a place where you're struggling and you're not sure, and you know, it's not right. I mean, I, every class I'm like, all right, does anybody, is anybody a different person than who they were when they walked in the door and everybody raises their hand? That's a no brainer. But the question is, are you happy with what you're doing? Because if you're not, you have to step up to the plate. You have to make the the hard decision. Am I going to try to get myself to a better place or is it truly time to go? And if it is time to go, a lot of people are afraid 
to leave. And what I will tell you, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to point you out here too, is when it got to the place where it was time for me to leave, when I made the decision and I said, look, I've given it everything I've had. I have given this everything I have and I can't do it anymore. It's affecting my family, my husband, my kids, you know, my friendships. I, I was a shell of myself. I used to be Julie McCoy, the cruise director. I was the fun person. I was the one who planned everything. And now I am sitting in my bedroom and that is where I would rather be than near anyone. That was a problem for me because I am an extroverted people person. And so when I finally recognized that, it was like, okay, this decision has to be made. I made the decision and and I, I said to myself, I know what I make for a salary right now. And while I would love to walk out the door and make that salary, I have to accept the fact that that's not going to be the case. So I'm going to see what I can do. And I was literally ready to just piecemeal like four jobs together to pay my mortgage and eat ramen. Like at that point, I didn't care. And I think people don't realize how little money they can live with uh, when their mental health is at stake. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And I think people often underestimate because uncertainty is scary. Yeah, it is. But they, in the process, they underestimate their ability to land on their feet. Yep. Yep. You know, there was uh, uh, Steve Harvey. Uh, he did at the end of Family Feud one time. He, he would always talk to the audience. Uh, very amazing speaker. Uh, very motivational speaker. But at the time, there was there was um, a little clip that appeared, whether it was on my Facebook or, or somehow it crossed my path. And if if you're if you're wondering if you should jump, uh, Google Steve Harvey, you have to jump. And that little clip right there, boy, did he talk about what you just said? Is you know there are things that there are bigger than us. There are things that we should be doing, and we are so afraid that if we jump, the parachute is not going to open. And we have to just accept the fact, you know what, if I do jump and the parachute doesn't open, maybe I'm going to skin my knees a little bit. It might hurt. But ultimately, if staying where you are is not the option, you can't just stay there. You have to jump. You have to, you have to put one foot in front of the other and you have to say, is it time? And there are so many people I know that have done that and they have been so much better for it. I think a lot of times we're afraid of losing our identity. I know that was really hard for me. The moment I had to say or not say that I'm Tracy Eldridge, chief dispatcher of the Rochester Communication Center, I had a panic attack. And I lost my identity and I never mourned who she was. And that's important that you get to be able to do that because, yeah, it's a big thing. And you have, you're supposed to grieve that. It's a, it's a loss. Yeah. It was a big part of your life. And you know, absolutely feel all the things. They're there for, they're not there to be a, a burden or an inconvenience. They're there to give you information. They're there to serve you. Yeah. And a lot of people, a lot of folks don't realize that. So you mentioned that you're doing coaching. 
Um, yes. what, so what, what is your, what is your day look like these days? I know you're doing a ton of podcasts. Clearly you got a lot to say that is super valuable. Um, and I appreciate you being here, but what is it that, what, what is a day in the life of rich look like today? Let's see a day in the life of rich is I do, like I said, I do a lot of podcasts. I do my own podcast, um, misfits wanderers and the rest of us. I love that title. I do too. I feel like in a lot of ways we learn we're, you know, we're all misfit toys in a way. Yeah. And if we get to own a lot of times that piece that we believe is what makes us a misfit is actually our superpower in disguise. Yeah, I agree. 100%. They say they often, I mean, and, and I'll tell you, I do a lot with disc. Um, the human behavior model. And Mm -hmm. what I learned through that process is that my biggest strengths are often my biggest weaknesses. And if I can just learn how to use my powers for good versus not so good, then everything can be okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just doing that. I'm doing the podcast. I'm building a community around that. I'm actually in the process of putting together a membership community um, around the podcast, you know, it'd be something like a monthly, you know, Patreon or Ko-Fi thing. And it would be live access to the podcast when I'm streaming it. It would also be an additional AMA during the week where people can either ask me things about my experience, or if there's something going on that they want support with, be able to jump on and take care of those things. Uh, also, this between myself and people I know, there'll be a lot of content around all sorts of different aspects of life, yeah. little, you know, different life lessons and different resources for that. And it's going to continue to grow. And I really, I'm really excited for what it turns, what it plays into. And there's still some aspects of it technically that I'm looking to figure out because I ultimately want it to be off of Facebook. I yeah. think there's some lessons to be <laughs> learned <laughs> after what happened the other day. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You can't stay in one place. I mean, that's the exactly. whole kind of You've model of keep this. Things. So there's, you know, there's still platforms that I'm looking into and how do I incorporate maybe a couple of different ones and deliver it via email. So there's a lot of, I, yeah. I'm not a very techno person, so I'm still trying to figure that out and getting to the point where I can start asking for help. Oh no, not the help. <laughs> yeah, I did the same work. thing with my, with my podcast. Like I would say 98% of it, I learned on my own. And the irony is, is I know a ton of people who do podcasts and you would think I could just go, Hey, can you jump on a call? No, I wanted to learn it myself. Um, some folks say, well, why don't you just outsource that? And I'm like, no, because I want to be able to just do things when I want to do them. I don't want to necessarily have to rely on other people. Um, I do remember, uh, when I made my journey to starting on scene first, you know, again, so I make the jump out of the 9-1 center and then I do it again four years later. Um, scary as hell, right? So yep. I want to build this community. Why? Because that is what fills my heart. That is what I, I was put here to serve. Um, and I always served others under others, 
So I was building, I had forever been building everybody else's legacy. And just like you, it is now time to build my legacy where I'm supposed to be. And I hate that we have to wrap this up. I will definitely be having you on again once you get everything settled and and stepped up. But I want to ask you this in final thoughts. There are so many folks out there doing what we're doing, right? That I do know. There are times that the voices in my head tell me, you can't do that because somebody else is doing that. There's already somebody else that does that. And I have to push through that voice every single day. I have to tell that voice, shut up, sit down. It's not your time to speak. I am doing this, whether you like it or not, because it's what is good for me. And we each have our areas. We each have our followings. If somebody is out there wanting to do what we're doing because they know that they can add value in a very different space. And I refer to it as, you know, I, 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 I say all the time, I may not be saving lives, you know, from the seat anymore, but I sure am helping to save the ones in them. So if somebody's out there listening to this going, you know what, I want to do what they're doing. I want to help people in that way, but I'm scared. What would you tell them? It's okay to be scared. That's part of it. You don't, you're never going to have a point where you're not scared. It's learning that scared is a voice. It's part of your mind protecting you. It does what it does. But that can't be who you listen to at the end. Find that space in your body, the one that really lights up when you're thinking about a thing that you enjoy and that you're in a spot where, you know, the spot that lights up when you're doing your favorite thing, when you're falling in love, when you're learning something and you can't get enough, when that space is singing to you and everybody's got it, we learn to tune it out. Yes, we do. Listen carefully. That voice is there. Find it. Let it tell you, let it whisper. It whispers at first mm-hmm. and it's simple. And all you need to worry about is the first step. Don't think about, yeah. If you're going to, if you think of the big picture, you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be like, screw this. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> all you need to do is take the next step and it will tell you what that is. Everybody has their own answers in them. Everybody. They do. And I think that's really cool. I, I'll have folks that reach out to me and it, I had somebody at a conference say to me, they came up to me in Tennessee. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to hear this, but they'll know who they are. But they came up and they're like, um, I want to be you when I grow up. And I didn't know how to take that. And I was just like, oh, honey, no, you don't pumpkin. There's too much stuff going on up in this head. And she says, no, no, like I want to be up and I want to be speaking. And, you know, I've, I've never spoke before at a conference. And I said, so do it. Yeah, but I don't even know where to begin or whatever. And I'm like, watch the conferences. Yeah, just just write it, submit a session, whatever it is that makes your soul sing and, and do a session on it. And then you will do it. And as soon as you're done, you will feel the feeling that you are in the right place. 
And that's what happened to me is when I was doing sessions at conferences and I would come down off the stage or I would, you know, be done and the messages that I would receive or the folks that would just randomly come up to me, um, you know, at the bar or, you know, as I'm coming out of the ladies room and it's like, oh, I swear you were telling my story. And, and I'm like, I know I'm telling the story of a lot of people just like you are rich, right? We, we know this, um, but I think the important thing is that we're not, we're not alone. We're not alone. No, we're not. And sometimes and we, we can't see it, but we've got an army. We do. We do. And it isn't until um, we, we start to use that voice to say, you know what? I'm not okay. I, I, things are not good for me right now. And uh, I, I would love some help, 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 help. <laughs> I need help. Um, so, Rich, thank you so much for joining me. I was so looking forward to this. I know we had to reschedule a few times for different reasons, but super pumped. I have been watching you. I'm super proud of you. And please let me know if there's anything that I can do for you. And I hope you Absolutely. do the same. Absolutely. And likewise, thank you for having me. I had a great time. All right, my friend. Until next time, keep saving right. lives from the other side of the radio. You as well. Take care. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational, and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow me on social media at On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Thank you, heroes, from the bottom of my blessed heart. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. For more information on Rapid SOS, our premier sponsor, and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and community, visit rapidsos.com today.